Man, good morning. Wow, that was amazing. Yes, Jesus, so good, man, so good, man. Man, sometimes just the sweetness of God is so good. Uh, well, good morning. My name is Derek. Uh, welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. If you are a guest, we want to welcome you. Uh, I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Uh, my email is Derek at BayouCityFellowship.com. If you have any questions, concerns, uh, trying to figure out how you get plugged in, would love to interact you and connect you uh, with the right person. Uh, let me ask you a question. If you were here last week, did anybody think about a dog this week at all? Anybody? How about a squirrel? Did anybody have any squirrels this week? Okay, yeah, right? So we talked about dogs and that we can actually learn something from dogs. And I said, well, I don't really think we can learn anything about cats. Remember I said that? Well, I wanted to show you a picture to just kind of save some grace with some of you cat lovers here. Uh, this is a picture of me with a cat. Uh, now, the reality, I've owned lots of cats, and I love, love, love cats. I love dogs, too, and I used to love cats, but then I became a man. And no, just show, totally true. <laughs> Totally joking. Men, if you have a little cat, it's totally cool. Uh, I still do like cats. Uh, I just thought I'd give you a little food for thought that we are equal opportunity pet lovers here at Bayou City Fellowship. Uh, we love both cats and dogs. Uh, but on a serious note, we can take that picture down. Uh, next week is going to be a really exciting week. Our, our main pastor, our founding pastor, Curtis Jones, is going to be in the house again. Yes. Woo! And he is going to be bringing a word on the word. Amazing. It's going to be so, so good. You do not want to miss it. He's going to say, why do we believe the word? Why do we study the word? Why do we preach the word here at Bayou City Fellowship? In addition to that, though, we're actually going to do something we've never done. We're actually going to bring a ton of Bibles. And if you need a Bible, we're going to give you a Bible. And I'm not talking about the kind of Bibles that were in the back of the chairs where your parents gave you two to write on, like when you were a kid to shut you up. Like these are legit Bibles, like really good. Like you'll be proud to sit in a coffee shop and say, man, this is my Bible. This is good. So if you need a Bible... You can have one next week. And let's say you've got a bunch of Bibles, but you've been really struggling with the word and you feel like, man, I just need some fresh wind, some fresh fire. I'm like, one of the ways to do that is to let us give you a Bible that's not marked up, that's not underlined, and let the Lord start to speak to you again through the text and draw you back to the word of God. And so if you have a friend, if you've got a family member, if you've got just somebody you bump into at Starbucks this week and you feel like they need to hear what the word of God is all about and that they would be um, a good recipient of an actual Bible, then invite them next week. It's going to be phenomenal. And I want to see every seat in here filled. If you've got a seat beside you, that better not be there next week. I'm going to be in Cyprus, and so I'm going to check on you guys, all right? I'm going to check up to make sure. So next week, don't miss it. Uh, well, today, I don't know if anybody noticed this, this machine here. Uh, you know, I figured we talked about man's best friend last week, so we talk about one of man's greatest tools this week. Uh, this is a chainsaw. Chainsaw. Now, now I... Really like chainsaws a lot. One summer, uh, I was on uh, kind of a mission trip between uh, years in college uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ. Anybody been to crew before? Yeah, a few crew people in here. So I went to a summer mission in Ocean City, New Jersey, and we ministered on the boardwalk, but we also got full-time jobs, and that was really our evangelist-type thing that we reached out to the community. And so I had a full-time job where I got to wield a chainsaw. I was the ground guy for a tree trimming company that they actually would climb up the tree they would cut it down. I would go chop all everything up, and I would send it through the chipper. Really dangerous, but a lot of fun. And so in my time with the chainsaw, and this is, man, this is solid. This is not my chainsaw. I wish it was. But I learned that chainsaws are really, really powerful. Really, really powerful. They can get a lot done in a short amount of time. But, but also what I learned is that the, one of the keys to having a good chainsaw is keeping the chain sharp and all the blades on it. So we're going to talk about this at the end, so I just wanted to tell you why it's up here. It's not some bad horror movie that's getting ready to happen. Uh, it's a legit thing that we're going to visit here at the end of the service. 
Uh, but since we're going to be talking about the Word of God next week, uh, I want us to look at a piece of Scripture in Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Acts chapter 8, just an empowerful um, uh, story of how the Word of God moves. So we're going to get to there. But, but the book of Acts is literally one of my favorite books in the Bible. I mean, it is so good. It's like if you had a GoPro on a disciple, like that's what it looks like if you read the book of Acts. Like everywhere they went, like we capture it. Like what happened in the upper room, like we get to see what actually happened in that upper room. It's like they're wearing GoPros. And so I love the book of Acts because it takes our theology, our, man, this is what we believe, and we see this is what it actually looks like to hit the road to actually give some flesh to all the ideas that we have about who God is. We see it laid out in Acts, and that's why I I love it. Now, we're going to be in chapter 8. Now, in chapter 7, there was this guy named Stephen, and he was chosen to be one that preached the word of God. And he's preaching the word of God to a bunch of Jewish leaders, and they don't like what he's saying. And so they get really worked up, and they think he's speaking heresy. He's undermining what they believe. And so they go and they actually decide they're going to kill Stephen. And so they get a bunch of stones and they kill Stephen in the middle of the city. Stephen is no longer living. Now in the midst of that though, all his friends, other believers who had been there, had been with him when he got taken and was preaching, they watched him be killed. And so because of that, they begin to scatter all around like you and I would if I saw my friend killed, guess what? I'm going to the next town. Like, I'm not going to hang around to see if I'm the next guy. Like, I'm gone. And so we see that they scatter. And we're going to pick up in chapter 8, verse 4. And it says this, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, now just take a second there and think about the, the craziness of that sentence. They just saw their friend killed, stoned to death for preaching the word of God. And then it says they scatter like you and I would, but they don't scatter to like get in a locked room somewhere or underground. No, they scatter and they preach with boldness the word of God. I mean, look at the conviction that these guys had for this Jesus and the story of Jesus in the kingdom of God. They were willing in the face of death, even after seeing death, to continue to proclaim the word of God. And then verse 5 says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them, the Christ. And so we come upon Philip, and he is doing the same thing. He was one of those that was scattered. He's preaching the word of God. He's preaching Jesus, the truth of the kingdom in Samaria. Now, I want to introduce you to Philip because Philip is not the disciple Philip. This is not the one that has said, hey, Nathaniel, come meet my Jesus. This is not the disciple Philip. This is Philip the evangelist. We found out in Acts chapter 21 when some people were going to his house, it's the house of Philip the evangelist. So this is not Philip the disciple, clearly dictate here. But we meet Philip uh, one page over in chapter 6. If you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to chapter 6. I think it's important for us to know about this guy that we're going to read today. So in chapter 6, there's all of these believers, and they've gathered together. And they're realizing that there's too much work for them to do, and they've got to start getting organized. Okay, And so they say, hey, we need to separate some people to serve the body But we also need to separate some men, seven specifically, to go and preach the word of God, the truth of God, the kingdom of God. And so they say, we're going to set apart seven men, and this is how they chose the seven men. It says, therefore, in chapter chapter 6, verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, capital S, 
and of wisdom whom we will appoint to the duty of preaching the word of God. We find out then in the next verse that Philip is one of those seven along with Stephen, the guy that was killed. And then we get down to verse seven. It says, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and the great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so as we read this story about Philip, I want us to recognize there's three things that we know about Philip. Number one, he's a, good, he's a man of good reputation. Number two, he's a man full of wisdom. Number three, he's a man full of the Holy Spirit. Now, men, I don't know about you, but I don't know like if there's a better list besides maybe love could be at the top that you would want to be known for in your life. To be a man of wisdom, to be a man who is full of the Spirit and has a great reputation. I mean, great. So we see this man is a phenomenal man. He's a man who was set aside to preach the gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God, that Jesus is king, and he's setting up his kingdom. Now flip back to chapter 8, and we're going to read a little bit more about Philip. So he's preaching Christ, Jesus, verse 6. It says, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now, there is a ton here that we can learn. So number one, it says that the people were listening. Listen, if Philip showed up, you would be listening. You may not listen to me, but you would listen to Philip. Because Philip, he did two things. He preached the truth of God unashamedly who Jesus is and why should you care. But he also had these signs and wonders that followed everywhere he went. And so it was the combination of these two, the word of God and the spirit of God that brought joy to the city. Now, how many of you know there is joy in a city when the word of God is preached and it's received and salvation happens? There's plenty of joy, right? We know that there's joy in heaven at least. Maybe we're not laughing, but in heaven they're celebrating when a person who doesn't know the Lord comes to know the Lord. But how many of you also know when the kingdom of God the reality of heaven breaks into our world where people are healed, where people are set free, where, where people come to know the reality of the kingdom life. In this world, there is joy, amen? And so we see there's so much joy here. And later on, we're gonna see that they believe the word. They believe the words that he was preaching and it brought great joy. Now, I think we can learn a few things from Philip in this specific text. I first think that Philip gives us an amazing look of what it looks like to be an evangelist. What does it look like to tell people about God? And I see two things in this text. Number one, we see him, the classic model in the scripture is that you have the word and you have an encounter with God. He preached the word of God and people encounter the presence of God. We see the proclamation of the word and the power of of the spirit, we see the truth in the spirit. You see, it's this twofold combination that we consistently see throughout the scriptures and what we see oftentimes is it brings about salvation. The word of God, the truth of who Jesus is coupled with the presence of God, his Holy Spirit moving and bringing in the kingdom. This is what we see as our model for evangelism and we see this first and foremost in Jesus. This was not new, like a, a new track that Philip put together and said, go hand this out. Like we see this model in Jesus. So flip over to Matthew chapter nine. We're gonna see Jesus, our example, function in this way when he is proclaiming the kingdom and evangelizing. 
chapter 9, verse 35. It says, And Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Like, do you see the combination there that is so powerful? It's the word of God, the truth of God, coupled with the manifestation of the presence of God. That's what we see continuously in Jesus' life. It's twofold. It's not one or the other. It's both. And this was not just for Jesus. If you skip over to chapter 10, you see his disciples. Look at chapter 10, verse 7. And Jesus is telling them, he's sending out the 12, and he says, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Do you notice the combination? It said, proclaim the kingdom, that's the truth of God, who is Jesus, the good news, the king is king. And his kingdom is breaking this world. And not only tell them, but then show them what it looks like. Let people experience the presence of of God, and we see this throughout scriptures. You can go anywhere in this, and you're gonna find the combination of the truth and the spirit. And so what I see is the effect of the word of God coupled with the spirit of God is powerful and transformative, and it leads us to seeing heaven break into our normal, everyday lives. And if you desire to be a uh, disciple of Jesus, that means that you're going to go and make disciples. Listen, it's not my job to make disciples at your work. Like disciples make disciples. Those that want to follow Jesus in his footsteps, you're going to see other people come to know Jesus in your life, whether that's at your work or whether that's in your home or with your family. Like we should be seeing that. And so if we want to be effective disciples, we can't get around the fact that it requires us to have the word of God, truth, but also the spirit of God. You can't have just one or the other. It requires both. We're going to see the effects of this in Acts. So flip back to Acts chapter 8. So we see that in verse 8 that he's preaching and there's much joy in the city. Now jump down to verse 12. It says, but when they believed Philip... As he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So he preaches the good news, the truth of God, the word of God. They receive that, they believe it, and then they are baptized. It's beautiful. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And he, seeing signs and great miracles performed, was amazed. Now, Simon, who, who is Simon? Now, right before this, and we're not going to read it, but, but Simon was a magician. Not like, a, I'm going to show you this and I'm going to show you over here. He wasn't quick with his hands. He was literally a magician operating with spirits that were not from the Holy Spirit. You get my drift? Like he had some abilities and power that was not from God. And he was doing some amazing things. And people were looking at him because he was a powerful man. And the scripture says, 13, even Simon believed. Now, this should be an encouragement to somebody in this room, and somebody better tell me an amen, because I know you have an even Simon in your life. How many of you have an even Simon that you are praying for salvation for? I do. And so here's the encouragement today. Even Simon believed. Amen? So, so what I see in Simon, a man who was really in, in cahoots with Satan, operating in the spirit of Satan, 
He has an encounter with God, and it changes everything he believes. Let me tell you, the even Simon in your life is one encounter with God away from salvation. So I don't care how far your, your son is from knowing the Lord. I don't care how far your mama is from knowing Jesus. I don't care how terrible of a boss your boss is. Listen, if Simon believed, so can they. So I want to encourage you this morning because maybe you're a little disheartened and say, man, I'm not seeing. Let me encourage you to keep praying, keep believing, and keep on loving them. Because even if Simon believes, so can the person in your life. And so please continue this week. Maybe just ask, Lord, what does it look like for my even if Simon? Maybe even write their name down right now. If you're thinking of somebody, write their name down and say, God, even if Simon, that means even if this person, even if, even Simon believes. Like write that down, pray for that. I do believe that God is gonna bring some things this week to fruition that we've been praying for a long time. And so what we see here is is something very fascinating. We see that this, this group of people, these Samaritans, they have heard the word of God. Philip is an amazing preacher. You guys would show up early, actually, if he was preaching here. He's amazing. And so you see that he preached the word of God, the truth of God. So they also received the word of God, the Samaritans did. And then they went so far as they believed and were baptized. They heard the word. They received the word. They knew the word. So in most of our books, everything's good to go, right? Like they heard, they received, and they have the truth of God. Like what more could they need? Maybe you're thinking that way today, and, and I think you're going to find this very interesting, what happens next. So skip down to verse 14. It says, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Now let's stop right there. So there was a, a group of apostles that had been with Jesus, and they are still in the city. They have not spread out because they're mourning, actually, for Stephen. They're laying him to rest, and they're mourning over him. And they hear the word that Philip preached, and people receive the word of God. And so they send their two best. They said, man, we're excited. Let's send Peter and John, the two leaders. Let's go send them to these people, and we're going to find out why they sent them. So they sent Peter and John, verse 15, They came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Do do you see what happened there? Philip preached the word. The word was received. They knew the word of God. They knew the truth of God, but the disciples, the one who had walked with Jesus, had followed Jesus. They're like, hey, that is great, but we got to get there because there's something else that you need. Listen, this is going to mess with some of your theology today, but the disciples show it, Jesus shows it, that the word is not meant to stand alone. That when they heard that the word was received, they immediately send their top dogs and say, hey, listen, it's great. You've received the word. You're now a son and a daughter of the king, but listen, You need to know the spirit. You need to receive the spirit of God. And so we see from the very beginning that the word was never meant to stand alone on its own. (laughs) The word cannot be a substitute for God. The word of God cannot be a substitute for God himself. Now, let me unpack this a little bit because I know I'm 
give me some grace here. Just listen. I love the Word of God. Does anybody else love the Word of God? Yeah. That was really weak. Somebody loved the Word of God? Yeah. Does anybody love the Word of God? Yeah. So listen, I, I, I love it. Obviously, I'm a pastor, and so a, a lot of my days are spent reading and studying. I, I desire to know the Word of God. <laughs> I want nothing more than for my life to display the Word of God. I've devoted my career to knowing the Scriptures. But, but here's what I don't do. I don't love the Word of God more than I love God. Because listen, listen, if you love the Word of God more than you love God, you actually have an idol in your life. See, an idol is anything that takes pre precedence over God. And so you can even have a love for the Word of God that is superseding God. And that's an idol that will actually keep you from knowing God himself. And I'm not just making this up. This is crazy, but you see this in the book here that's speaking for itself. Go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to some religious leaders that think they have it all figured out, like I have been in many times. And he just lays it down on these religious leaders like Jesus does so well. Verse 39 of chapter 5, he says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but listen, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. See, it's possible for you to love the word of God and miss out on God himself. And, and so we see this in the disciples. Man, they are so excited that the word has been received. But they're like, hey, we gotta hightail it down there because this is great. We've got some people that know the word of God, but we gotta get there because they need the spirit of God. You see, when we have the spirit of God, I just wanna make a note here that when we are talking about the Spirit of God, we're not downplaying the Bible. Okay? Hear me, because some of you are a little frustrated. Listen, we never downplay the Bible. But here, it's not Father, Son, Holy Scripture. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who spoke the word, who then points to God. And so when I am operating with the Holy Spirit, this is what you're going to find out. You're going to be drawn to the Scriptures. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're like a person that you're like all Holy Spirit, you're invited here. But listen, if you're all Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's not pointing to the scripture, I would really challenge to ask what spirit is in you. Because some of us get off on this spirituality and we love the spirit. But listen, if it's not pointing you to the word that he inspired, then maybe it's the wrong spirit. And we can have another conversation about that. Because the Holy Spirit will always, always, always points you to the word of God. He'll increase your desire for the word of God. He says in 1 Corinthians that he actually breaks it down and lets us start to understand the word of God, the depths of God. That's one of the roles the Holy Spirit has in your life. Not just to be all power, but to give you great wisdom about who God is in his word. And so the spirit, it's not either or. It's spirit and truth coming together. That's what it looks like. It's not either the spirit or either the truth. No, the scriptures show us that it's Holy Spirit and the Word of God working together. And what we see in this passage is that the new church understood that the Holy Spirit was essential to not just an evangelist, but to every person that is following after Jesus. I've got one more passage here that I want us to look at. 
that I think speaks into this. Acts chapter 1. Speaking of the, the essentialness of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is amazing. Jesus is uh, about to ascend to heaven, okay? So how many of you know, before you go on a long trip or before you go overseas, like your last few words with your family, they're really, really important, right? So we look at Jesus. He knows he's leaving, and so it makes sense that he says something really, really important as the last thing that he leaves the disciples with. Does that make sense with anybody? And so let, let's read what Jesus says. Verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, And while staying with them, Jesus staying with the disciples, he ordered, he ordered them, didn't ask them, didn't say, hey, this would be nice. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So just, just take a context, a moment of what the scripture is saying. He's talking to the disciples. They had been with him. They saw his crucifixion. They saw his resurrection. They have spent days with him on the other side of the resurrection, walking around with Jesus. They knew the kingdom of God. They knew the word of God, which was Jesus. And he says, wait. Don't run in there with just the word of God. No, wait for the spirit of God that's gonna come to you not many days from now. You see, Jesus is the biggest proponent of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. He said, wait. Verse 8 says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. But listen, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Listen, Jesus knew we could not fulfill the great commission apart from the Holy Spirit. Even with the word of God, we could not fulfill the Holy Scriptures saying that we will go to the ends of the world. Every tongue will confess. Every tribe will hear the good news apart from being empowered and equipped with God, the Holy Spirit. So what, what I see is we got to stop thinking we've got to be in one camp or the other. That God is not a God of disunity. He's a God of unity, and the spirit is a spirit of unity. And he says, listen, there's no rivalry between the word of God and the spirit. Listen, the spirit wrote the word of God. He brings it to life. As a church, we should be a church that's so full of the spirit and so full of the word that we are a great mesh. Because that's biblical. One or the other is not biblical. Spirit and truth is biblical. Now, I told you I would get back to this, so here we go. Uh, chainsaw, man's second best friend. Um, there was a man who once bought a, um, an amazing piece of property. Phenomenal location, great access, uh, phenomenal piece of property, but he had to pull out his 401k and spend all his money to get it, okay? And, and this property, though, uh, it was so great, but it had some massive trees on this property, and they weren't just softwood like pines. They were hard, hard wood, Big, gnarly things all over the place. It made the, va the value of the land really low. And so this guy knew he had to clear him out, but he didn't have any money left to have somebody do it. And so he's like, well, I guess I've got to go clear out the land. And so he went to the hardware store and told the owner his situation. And the guy's like, I know exactly what you need. Uh, you need a chainsaw. <laughs> Every man needs a chainsaw. All right, ladies? He said, you need a chainsaw to do what you're trying to do. And so he's like, all right, give me a chainsaw. Let me know what I'm supposed to do. And so he brings out this chainsaw. 
And he's like, this is going to cut down a lot of trees. It's so good. And he's like, let me tell you one thing. It's really, really important that these teeth on this chain stay really sharp. Do you hear me, young man? Like, it's important that these chains stay sharp or you're not going to do a lot of work. Sharp chains. And this is how you do it. And he showed him how to file down, which direction, which angle. And the landowner said, okay. And so he took his chainsaw and he went back home. And the next morning he wakes up really early before dawn and he gets to his land. He's like, I'm going to work so hard today. And he works for all day long. He gets to the end of the day. It's kind of getting dark out. And he's like, oh, what, what have I done? And so he looks around at the work that he's done and he sees that he's only cut down two trees. And he's like, man, that doesn't make sense. I thought the guy that sold me this thing said I could cut down a lot of trees. Last time I checked, two trees is not a lot of trees. So he was disappointed. He was frustrated. So he went back the next day, took his trusty chainsaw, and he went to the owner and said, hey, you said I could cut down a lot of trees. And the guy said, you're right, son. Uh, I only cut down two, and I worked all day long. What's the problem? He's like, I have no idea. That's crazy. Let me have it. And he took the chainsaw and gave it to one of his workers. And the guy took it in the back and started checking it out. And so they're sitting there having some small talk. And the owner of the store is like, hey, did you remember to sharpen your chain? And he's like, yeah, my number one priority that day was to sharpen the chain. Every few hours, I would make sure the chain was sharpened. So, yes, I sharpened the chain. It's not the chain. And so the guy brings the chainsaw back out. And, and he says, hey, everything looks good to me. I don't know what your problem is. Like, go try it again. So the guy's like, all right, I'll take my chainsaw. The next day he woke up earlier, an hour earlier. It's still dark outside. He got to the field. It was still dark. He begins to work nonstop, works through lunch, works through dinner. He works into the dark time. He looks at what he's done because he's worked so much harder. And he looks around, and he's cut four trees down. He's like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I've worked so hard, sweated so much ground my teeth. I got calluses to prove. Why have I only cut four trees down? So he's super disappointed at the point of giving up, frustrated. So he takes this back the next day and he goes into the shop really just ticked off. And he looks at the shop owner. He's like, hey, what's the problem here? You said this thing could cut a lot. I worked all day long and I only cut four trees down. What's the problem? I want my money back. And the shop owner is super confused. So he says, son, give me that chainsaw. He looks at it. The chain is super sharp. You did that right. Then he grabs the cord and he pulls it and he starts it. And as soon as he starts it, the landowner jumps back. His eyes are huge and he covers his ears. He said, what did you just do? I didn't know I was supposed to turn it on. Now, now here's the moral of the parable. That's not a true story. No man would ever do that. <laughs> not going to happen. Even us suburb guys, like, we're not going to do that. So, so here's where I'm going with this. Listen, the chain, <laughs> that chain, represents the word of God. And this amazing, powerful motor, it represents the spirit of God. Both required for a chainsaw to do what it's supposed to do. But this man, he was so involved with the chainsaw, he didn't even know that he had the opportunity to turn a motor on, that he worked so hard and toiled so much that he didn't get a lot done. And so when we are a person, a man or a woman, where we just have the chain, 
where we just have the word of God. And we get really frustrated because we don't see a lot going on. Could it be that because you're missing the motor? Or some of us are on the completely other end of the spectrum, and you probably know somebody like this. They've got amazing power in their motor, but their chain is really, really dull, and they're missing some teeth. You see, those people, they make a lot of noise, but they don't get a lot done in the kingdom. See, those people lean so far to the Spirit, they miss the truth of God. And so my challenge for you today is where are you at? Do you have a chain that is so pristine? You are so proud of that chain. But today you're coming in here limping and frustrated and disappointed. And you're saying, God's not doing anything in my life. I don't see any response. I don't see my prayers answered. Maybe you need to turn on the motor. Or today, maybe you've got the spirit and you love the spirit. But you find yourself hurting other people. You find yourself deviating from the word of God. And maybe today you need to align yourself and get back to the word of God. And so I ask you, and I want you to just take a moment to, to ask the Lord, where are you today in the spectrum of spirit and truth? Because the first step is to recognize, where am I at right now? Am I over here in this camp? Am I over here in this camp? Because what the Word of God says, He wants you right here in the sweet spot of spirit and truth proclamation and power the word and encounter so I'm just going to give you just two minutes to really just ask the Lord and say Holy Spirit what are you speaking this is kind of training us beginning us to get into this conversation with God because God is present if you're a believer the spirit is in you you have a motor ask the Lord Lord where am I at today and then ask him the next question is what's the next step for me Go ahead and bow your heads, pray, pray and ask God to speak. If he gives you a word or if he gives you a vision, if he gives you anything, write that down and make a note of it and ask God to make use of that, to make it known to you. So just take two minutes and then I'll close this out.